Welcome another episode, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights here with Buck Easley. We're going to talk about uh, property tax consulting and what that might have to do with sports card insights and the value of your cards, uh, the value of your memorabilia, your your collection. So uh, I think there's some similarities. It'll be uh, interesting. Uh, first, thanks sponsors: Topps Panini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, COMC.com, and Last but not least, Beckett Media, including Beckett Grading and Beckett Authentication. So um, ComC doesn't really do uh, appraisal per se. When you put your cards into ComC, then you have to put your own values at what you want to sell them for. If you're too high, it doesn't sell. And if it's too low, they get sold instantly. Uh, Beckett Media, at, you know, my old company, has uh, long been in the business of uh, valuing cards and all that stuff. Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck, all the card companies, as, as you and I have joked, they're not going to complain if if the Beckett uh, online price guide or <laughs> the uh, magazines or books uh, have a high value on their stuff. That's just like uh, it's the opposite of uh, when you have a home and uh, you, you don't want a high. You want your home to be worth a lot, but not in the eyes of the appraisal district. So welcome, Buck. Uh, tell us about your business. And now you've just sold it. But tell us about the nature of that. Give us a, a capsule about uh, because I don't know that everybody knows that there are people like you out there that can come alongside a homeowner and help them uh, uh, save money they don't need to be spending. So what yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks, for, Jim. Appreciate you having me again. Um, yeah, I mean, if whenever I start off and I'm talking to somebody about this, I, I just kind of take them back to the, the tax code, you know, here in Texas for property taxes. If you own a home, the tax code says you have the right to pay taxes on the lower of fair market value, which is what they define as what a willing buyer would pay a willing seller if nobody's under distress to buy or to sell and both parties are knowledgeable or equal and uniform, which means if you took your home and put it next to um, a similar home of size, age, and location, then you have the right to have your tax assessment comparable to that similar property. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of really as, as complicated and as simple as it is, is the lower of what a willing buyer would pay and, and what equity would show that's your right to, to pay on as far as valuation. Well, that's you've presented in a simple way because you're a pro. But for the average homeowner or the average card owner, they have uh, something they own and uh, they have an idea of the value. But the potential buyer of a card or piece of memorabilia may have a different value uh, in mind, uh, just like the uh, the uh, appraisal district may have a different value in mind. And uh, unlike with, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a card uh, sports card situation, you just walk away. We just couldn't agree. There is no walk away <laughs> if there, there's no tie. You know, if you uh, that's why people bring you in is because the appraisal district said it's worth X and uh, you, 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 the homeowner thing, no, it's worth a lot less there. You have the ability to help convince the appraisal district that, you know, take a second look at this. And I wish there was something like that for sports cards. And it's not called the Beckett price guide necessarily, but, you know, both parties can look at that and, but they see it in a different way, just like the, the comparables. And so one thing we see in the sports card industry is that people choose their comparables in a way that's very favorable to them. How is that not similar to what, what your situation was in a, in a real estate situation? Well, there's a lot of similarities to it. You know, um, one of the first challenges we have when we represent a, a property um, is the, the tax office. They, they, they have what we call the evidence package and you have to, look at their evidence on where they're, what information are they using to come up with their. You have to request it. You have to request it. They don't give it to you unless you correct. request it. That's correct. Yep. Um, 
and sometimes, you know, uh, we can go in and, and we've done this at least on a commercial side. Uh, appraisal district might have a property classified as an office building when the property has been purchased and, and turned into a, a gun range, which completely alters the classification right. of it. And, so it's and no longer comparable. Right. Exactly. And so it's really important to make sure you are comparing apples to apples on that. Well, another mistake I made, because I, I try to have uh, boo-boos injected into this uh, podcast occasionally where I messed up, uh, and this was in the on the appraisal side for real estate, is that I marched in with my comparables, and um, but they weren't the comparables that the appraisal district used. And what I found out is that, the, like you said, some of them were not in the same class, you know, so they, they nixed them that way. And the other way that's especially uh, uh, relevant to card collectors is some of them were stale. You know, it's like somebody saying, hey, it's sold on eBay or at Heritage Auctions for a hundred dollars. So, uh, you know, this is this is my price now. And then you but if you go back and look at that, that historical result it was five years ago or something like that. Well, that doesn't work in the real estate appraisal either. It's got to be timely. Well, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, typically 12 to 18 months back of sales is kind of, you know, what you look for in terms of real estate as far as being a somewhat reasonably accurate comparable but you know in, in the age we're living in now with the, the corona um it's it's been interesting talking to uh, some folks you know who they suffer job losses if it's a commercial building a guy has tenants i talked to one the other day he said i've got three tenants one's a, a hair salon one's a party planner and the other one's a bridal salon and none of those people are conducting business right it can really affect the value of their property one of the things that they uh talk about with the real estate is that the three main factors are location, location, location. Uh, what do you think that would be? How does that translate to sports cards and sports uh, memorabilia? It's not location, but it's, what do you think it would be if there was some overarching factor? Because I've got some suggestions. But yeah, you, you know, for lack of a better term, maybe popularity. You well, know? That's actually what I kind of came down to. I, I thought it's demand, demand, demand. It's, it's not as, demand is more important than supply. Uh, demand kind of subsumes the idea of the player, you know, the subject of the card, because that that's where a lot of the demand comes from. And then you could say, well, maybe it's condition, 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 but you show me a black label 10 of a, of some 87 tops common card. I'm not sure that's even then going to be in, in, uh, in high demand. So the demand is, is uh, condition is related the player. Uh, but ultimately it's the demand. And that's really what comes back down to, uh, to real estate. I mean, if it's on the wrong side of the street or uh, in a in a in an unfavorable location, uh, what they're really trying to get at is the demand. What is what is a willing buyer is going to sell? Uh, what, what would they sell for to a, to a willing and knowledgeable? And when we were doing the price guides back in the day, that we really tried hard to verify that these were not distressed sales uh, because people say, "Hey, well, this guy sold this. I paid this much for it." I said, "Well, but you know, we we had guys around the country, including Rich, whom you know, uh, that would try to have." Uh, some level of verification that yes, it sold for that, but it was, I'm not talking about shell bidding. I'm just talking about this was, this was not a normal sale. On the other hand, if you have two or three of those, then the, these abnormalities start adding up. And I'm sure you had that to deal with in the, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know, in the uh, property tax uh, consulting business, because one, one oddball thing could be an outlier, but when you start getting two or three, so if you had situations like that, or you, you see the parallel like I do. Oh, absolutely. You know, you get uh you get a buyer um, who says, I had, I had a client one time who said, uh, I paid way too much for my house. I know I did, but my wife fell in love with it, you know, and it was either keep mom happy or, you know, 
or have to live with uh, live with it. And so you know, he overpaid. So that maybe that was a little bit of a of an outlier that no one else would have paid that much. But in this particular guy's situation, his wife loved the house and she was going to pay whatever it took to get it. You know, did you go down to the appraisal district and try to get the appraisal lowered the next year? Yeah. In that case, um, the guy ended up saying because he had bought it, he felt like he could articulate his situation even better than me, which I thought, you know, I agreed with him. I said, you know, take your wife in too. <laughs> I was going to say he could throw his wife under the bus better than you could. <laughs> no, but, uh, it's because once the deal is done, then uh, it's it's what would it sell for the next time? And one of my uh, other things we did in the, in my price guide days is I tried to take into account, and, I, and tell me if you think this can be done favorably in the real estate uh, context, but we really tried to take into account when I was you know scoping things out, non-sales, when something was for sale at a certain price and it didn't sell, but it was there available. In other words, it's like the house next door to you is equally nice to yours, but it's a lower price for sale than what you, uh, what they're appraising your house at. And, but it hasn't sold. So it's not a comparable sale. So how did you inject that into it? Because again, that's, that's some of the logic we used in the price guides that you can't say it's a $10 card. If, uh, if it's, uh, if it's available for $10, $10 in great quantity and, and, and nobody's even sniffing at it. Right. So how'd that work? Same, same principle. Um, it's, it's a little difficult, you know, if you got a $10, if a house is out there for $10 and an asking price and then no one, you know, it's, it's being advertised and marketed through a broker or maybe a for sale by owner and he can't even get a sniff at $5, you know, it's hard. What, what can you say? I guess the fair market value, what a willing buyer is going to pay is not $10. You know, it's got to be less than that. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, every uh, the thing that's interesting, that's, that's also, uh, even though I think, you know, and you, you were a pro, you've sold your business now, but as a pro, you can see deep down in your unbiased heart of hearts, there's probably a true value for something, but what you were doing, and I'm, I'm not saying it's pure gamesmanship, but I mean, there's a, there's a, a negotiation and, and each party in the negotiation has an interest in that value being higher or lower, uh, regardless of what was originally paid, just because it's going to affect how much taxes you've got to pay. And so it's the same thing with cards. You know, what you paid for it, like we're saying, the sunk cost, what you paid is paid, but what is it worth now? And if I own it, I'm hoping it's worth more in the sense of wanting to sell it, but I'm hoping it's worth less if somebody's going to tax me on it. So right. I hope I'm not being too hypocritical. Uh, yeah. We just got time for like one more question. So you sold your uh, property tax appraisal business, but you're still doing some consulting. Uh, but like we said, one of the things you've thought about is now that you have a little more time, and you have this expertise, how might that be applicable uh, in, in our industry, whether it be something entrepreneurial you would do or something or, or, or one of the one of the companies? What, 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 what gets you excited if, if, uh, if money were no object or something you, you'd really love to tackle that you think would be suitable for you, a person of your uh, uh, skills and talent and experience? Well, you know, I, uh, it's a good question. I, I've had kind of an interesting career because I I started off kind of as a numbers guy, as an analyst with DNB, doing all these number crunching and and everything, and then moving into the tax field. But the whole time, I've actually been, you know, needing to be a salesman too. So I had to market my service and my company and myself. And so I've, I guess I'm maybe a weird bird because I, I kind of understand the numbers, but I also understand the human element of needing to wear well on people and how to approach people and sell and market and um, how that translates exactly into the collectible field. I'm not exactly. Sure, but it's one of the things that, um, as I kind of maybe move on to a, a second career, I'm interested in, you know, kind of thinking through what those opportunities might be. 
Uh, well, I mean, we're out of time again, uh, Buck, but I mean, I really feel like uh, when I hear your story and, and we visit on this stuff, it's uh, one of the cool things about the industry is that it's, it's, it's fraught with opportunities for, uh, you know, kind of small business development for, for, uh, for entrepreneurial stuff, because there is a data aspect that most people are not as uh, comfortable with as, 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 as I am and, and you are too, but there's also a people side. If you don't have the people side, you're, you know, you can build a great mousetrap that nobody, nobody knows about it. So, so I would encourage you to be thinking about uh, some different uh, entrepreneurial opportunities that come out. The great thing about the industry is that you can incubate some of those or bootstrap some of them and test them out. That's one of the things I was talking about. I, I want to do some experiments, uh, but I don't know that they're at a large enough scale to, uh, you know, I'm not interested in building a company, but uh, some of the ideas I have, you know, I'm going to be throwing them out there on the podcast and you, you may be one of the enterprising guys that, that takes one of those balls and runs with it. So I hope you do. You, you certainly, uh, my, my hat's off to anybody that's built a business and uh, generally, uh, it's like buying a boat. I mean, the happy days are when you buy it and when you sell it with a business, it's a little bit like that. It's bittersweet when you're selling it. But, but um, if you, if you start a business and you don't sell, that either means it went out of business or you died. (laughs) So you're very much alive and uh, you've made a choice to, to pass it on to somebody else. And again, that's a good thing. So thanks everybody. Thanks Buck. Uh, We'll be back again tomorrow with another episode. Hope you learned something about uh, property Uh, taxes uh, from uh, a real expert in Buck Easley. So thanks again, everybody. See you tomorrow. Thanks, Jim.